you just caught me reading my brand new book, Twin Peaks Unwrapped. The book, me and my co-host Ben Durant wrote this last year and is now finally out at bluerosebag.com. Supplies are very limited, so you gotta get yours today. This book contains over 100 interviews with cast and crew, community commentary, and of course, us. For example, here are some of the fine folks you'll find in this wonderful book. Krista Bell, Charlotte Stewart, David Patrick Kelly, Jim Belushi, John Neff, Scott Frost, Cheryl Lee, Matthew Lillard, and the one, the only, Kyle McLaughlin. So get your copy today at bluerosemag.com. Welcome to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... All the way across the state line, Brian Kazaska. Hey, Brian. How's the uh, staycation going? Oh, well, you know, being at home, it's, <laughs> it's just so much fun. But it's a whole other life. whole other life. We are socially distancing ourselves, which is the, the good thing to do. Um, but the we're show living the Harold Smith life. We are the Harold Smith life. And speaking of Harold Smith, <laughs> a couple weeks ago, you know, Scott did his amazing panel, his Graceland at home panel, I call it. And the big surprise was Harold Smith at the very end. And if you haven't seen that, it's posted on our Facebook page. Please check it out because Scott did a fantastic job. That was so impressive that uh, Scott got Lenny. I mean, to be able to get the actor who played Harold Smith on at the very end, I thought that was such a cool get. And speaking of good gets, Ben, you got the one, the only Robert Bauer, who plays Johnny Horn in Twin Peaks. Now, this is the second Johnny, not from the pilot, but he plays the beef of the Johnny in one and two. Right. And then there's a whole new actor for three. Uh, the third uh, Johnny Horn was uh, a stunt uh, guy. So, I mean, I, I guess he could run into uh, pitchers. And <laughs> oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. But Robert Bauer, he's such a cool guy. And you guys will get to hear all this coming up. He's an amazing person, but he's, he's like so cool. Like He's so cool. Yeah. And I felt like we had a connection. We were going to like, we could have him on the show again. Like he just seems like he's up for anything and really nice guy. Real nice guy. And he's, you know, he kind of left acting. I mean, he did some other TV shows after Twin Peaks, but he really, when it got really uh, involved in producing, I mean, he's known 
for Waitress, which I believe was a movie, and then went to Broadway. He also worked on Dinner with Don, which is Don Rickles, Scott Ryan's favorite guy. Yes. Yep. And Dinner with Don, I just want to bring it up because people might be like, yeah, Don Rickles. It was actually a TV show where other celebrities had dinner with Don Rickles, which is it's so like, cool. Yeah. It's so cool. I mean, it makes me think of the, the you know, that it's really popular to have like uh, going in cars with people or singing karaoke in cars, you know, like there's a whole these yeah. like, yeah, doing something with somebody in <laughs> somewhere. Yeah. And it's so cool because, you know, Don Rickles had passed away not that long after. So yeah. that's a cool show that he produced. And then you can check it out on YouTube. Yeah. So cool. This guy is just like one of the guys. He's so nice. He was so cool. And there's a lot of gold nuggets um, you'll hear in this interview that may have not made the book. I, I, I don't remember. There were so many things. Yeah. Um, and that's the kind of cool thing too, is like, you know, we're sharing these interviews with you and we're not going to share every interview we've done in the book, but I think it's fun to just, you know, for people who to be able to listen to some of what was we put into the book. Right. So without further ado, here's Robert Bauer. So let's get into it then. Like, so, yeah. so Bobby, how did you prepare for this character, Johnny Horn? So I think the, the way to answer that is kind of tell you how this came about. I was, a uh, I was uh, uh, an actor, um, not not terribly burdened by looks or talent, and and uh, but I was an actor nonetheless, and I had an agent, you know, and this was uh, early days of my of my career as a working actor, and and I I knew Joanna, the casting director. Yeah, I'm trying to think how this even happened, I. I was doing sort of guest stars on, on shows. <clears throat> and this was, this was before a series I did on Fox called flying blind. This was the, this was the first um, series I, I, I was in and I got a call from my agent who said, who didn't submit me for this, mind you. Hmm. Um, so I don't know how it happened. Maybe they did actually, maybe they did submit me in a group submission. But the way it happened was they got a call that David wanted to see me for the role of Johnny Horn. Hmm. And they were super excited. And I was like, you know, I didn't know anything about Twin Peaks. There was no script. There was nothing. It wasn't floating around, at least in my in my solar system. And um, so I got the call to meet and I went in for what was the audition and Joanna told me that the way that David casts and likes to cast and what is germane to his process was going through pictures and looking at pictures. Hmm. And evidently he saw my headshot and was like, have him come in. I'm sure, you know, along with, you know, many, many others, but that's how I got the audition literally off a picture. And the audition turned out to literally be um, the audition for the job. Like I, I, and I didn't know any of that. You know, there was no real stress about it. I went in, I met Joanna. Um, I met Mark Frost. David wasn't there. So did they video I, record you then? or they, they did record me and I improved with Mark <laughs> a couple scenes. That's great. I mean, literally days later, I got a call that that David saw the tape and wanted to hire me. So, wow! 
Do you remember yeah. what you improved about? Because like, there's so little. I mean, there's not a lot of Johnny dialogues. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious. There's not a lot of Johnny dialogues. So, um, you know, I knew that he had um, mental issues. Maybe mm. he was on the spectrum. Back then, they weren't even referring to people, you know, autistic or otherwise as yes. being on the spectrum. It was just he had emotional problems. Mm. And, you know, came from a complex family and, you know, had some anger issues and whatnot and mm. was basically a child in the body of a young man. The preparation I did was um, to watch a lot of cartoons and to I, I remembered very distinctly the first scene that we shot was the graveyard scene. And uh. that was the full cast. Right. That yeah. was the full, it was Barry and Laura. Right. Right. Yeah. And that was the first day that I worked and these guys had all worked before together. So I'm trying to think I um, went to a bookstore to look for books that I felt might be meaningful to Johnny the way that I was approaching him. Yeah. And I found a first edition. Uh, God, I'm Peter Pan. Of Peter Pan, thank you. <laughs> of Peter Pan, thank you. It's like you guys were there. Um, <laughs> I did a tiny bit of research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had this first edition book with me, and that when I when I found it in the bookstore, that kind of opened up a world that I I felt I could inhabit as this character, right? Yeah. Very sort of. You know, not growing up, you know, uh, forever a child um, and comfort in that, not a struggle, but a real comfort in that. Mm. And so I had this book and, and that was sort of my my talisman, if you will, that that, you know, I, I used and carried into the scene with me. I think as scripted was that day was just amen before we, we did a rehearsal. And then that was the first day that I met Dana and Dana Ashbrook, Bobby Briggs. Yeah. Just, you know how you, you know, it, it's rare, but there's times where you meet people and you're like, you, you feel like an immediate comfort, an immediate connectivity to that person. Mm -hmm. Boy, it doesn't matter. It's, it's not gender specific. It's just, you know, right. who, just an, it's a, it's a, it's a part cosmic thing to be sort of weird about it. And it's part, it's part alchemy, you know, it just is. And we connected on such a, like, he just really dug that I, I had this book <laughs> and at once dug it and at once made fun of me for it. And we were just actors fucking around and, and, we just clicked right out of the gate. We just clicked. We recently talked to Bobby Bauer, and he mentioned the funeral scene. And when he, when you guys first met, and you were kind of like making fun of him that he had a Peter Pan book and stuff like that. Do you remember um, meeting uh, Johnny Horn, Bobby Bauer? <laughs> oh yeah, I was at the funeral the day of the funeral. Uh, Lord Palmerston. Yeah, I met him, and um, we became really good friends. We became best friends actually, and and, and for uh, the rest of our lives, I'm godfather to his kids and stuff. Um, he, uh, yeah, he had a little Peter Pan book that he brought to like the first gathering of like when we were starting to shoot the series, and mm -hmm. there was like a little get get together at the production office, and and so. He was there and he had this Peter Pan book that he was carrying around. I remember not knowing him at that point and thinking, and then when I met him, I finally was like, dude, 
I was laughing at you for having that. It was funny. But, but I, you know, I was a stupid asshole kid then, you know. I, uh... um, I think given that, that immediate level of comfort helped drive Dana, I, I'm not speaking for him. We've never really talked about it, but mm -hmm. I think his level of comfort of breaking through me and like if he, in that scene, I remember him grabbing me very specifically and mm. moving me aside. Yeah. But the way he grabbed me wasn't with anger, but with purpose, I mm. suppose. Yeah. And care, right? It, he didn't throw me aside to make his entrance. It was a, it was, it, it was a really interesting thing. But anyway, so the preparatory guy. Completely off track from your. your no, I think, I think yeah. this is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I really like this. It's it a little bit. Is is that was my preparation? The preparation was cartoons, and then I wanted to inhabit a world that I felt he, I could keep coming back to. And Peter Pan was that world and that book very much so. Um, and then a little interesting side note about that is that a a very very dear family friend of my then girlfriend, soon to be wife, current wife, only wife, mm. um, was, was best friends with Bruce Cohen, um, the producer. Ah. And prior to being a producer, he worked, he was in the DGA trainee program and his first job was working on the color purple for Steven Spielberg. Spielberg smartly swept him up into his you know, into his surroundings and being and arms and, and, and business. Bruce's first assistant director job. So he went from trainee to second assistant director to first assistant director. His first assistant director job, ironically, was on a film called Hook. Hmm. And I had the book still. <laughs> the book was in my possession. And I gave him, when we all found out that he got this job i gave him the book and he has Aww. he's he has the book that's, that's awesome. cool that's so cool yeah so i think I you did like, say this but like is the book more of a symbol like did you read the book as well or did you you understood what the book meant and it was more of a symbol than actually looking at I, I read i read the i read the book mm. because it just helped me go to places in, in imagination in this character that I would inhabit. You know, as the viewer, the first time we see you is in episode two, which is the only time I think it was actually shot out of order. I mean, David Lynch was working on Wild at Heart, and so he shot it, I think, around mm. between six and seven or so. But how, what was it like being directed by David Lynch? David is, you know, this altogether ethereal the alien human being he's just he's unlike anybody that you will ever meet in his approach and presence and being he's just he's he's really fantastic and is an artist from head to toe and is not bound by convention and i think that is what allowed him to be the filmmaker that he was and that is and allowed him to frame twin peaks you know in mm. that it didn't it didn't beat to conventional beat and wisdom it was its own thing yeah that approach was very much the way he was to work with and be directed by and you know obviously there are people that were directed way more um in depth and, and than than me but i remember like the dinner scene with the mashed potatoes mm. even the uh 
the funeral. He just he just wanted me uh, and and the actors to explore and be in the moment hmm. and not and where it went. He was game to follow. I think he marshaled that um, sensibility and that attitude um, as it colored in the pages of the scenes. You know, as it colored in what he was shooting. Yeah. So. He was very free and open-minded that way, and and I remember it was much. It was a very back-and-forth dialogue. Like, what would, what do you think? You know, what are you thinking about the scene? I'm thinking this. What do you think? I don't know. That seems kind of good. Let's try that. It was very responsive and embracing and back-and-forthing. And did was there was there room for improv? Especially your character seems like there would have been opportunity for improving. There was. I I you know. I guess the dinner scene is a good example of that. Like, you know, I think he, I, I would fling the mashed potatoes more than I would serve it to myself. <laughs> and he was down with that. Yeah. He was like, yeah, I think that's exactly right. You know, and so something that was non-conventional or, again, in the moment, very kind of exploratory, you know, that felt within the, it felt like it would come out of the veins of the character he was down with. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, there were things that were very specific and needed to be specific. But um, again, it was he, he seems very process oriented, you know, very journey oriented that that the the goal will receive will, will reveal itself in the process, which is really what color do you want to paint with this color? Ooh, let's try that. <laughs> oh, that's a neat color. Yeah. What if we add this? What if we add that? You know what I mean? It's a very sort of very hand-in-hand collaborative things. You know, it was short, but certainly sweet. Yeah. It's funny that you talk about, yeah, colors. I mean, Lynch is a painter, so I guess that kind of makes sense in some ways, that his style. So I wonder, what are the other, what do you think the actors thought of you that, that, you know, like you think about that dining table where you're flinging things and like, it seems that's not part of the script. (laughs) I made a point of not being too chatty and connecting with a Mm. lot of people. I don't look for that. Yeah. Um, Because I felt... Uh, I didn't want to feel comfortable, though Dana and I started a, a real relationship, you know, like it was a it was founded on a mutual like of each other. Mm. It was also still at the nascent, you know, at the very nascent stages of of knowing somebody. And I didn't I didn't reveal too much about myself. I wasn't too chatty, I recall. And I didn't really go out of my way to to. Um, make small talk or, you know, what we refer to as trench love in production where, you know, you're this instant family and everybody's looking for ways to connect and get along. And, you know, you're in the trench together and, you know, aren't we the best of friends, but you know, that lasts until the rap party and then you never speak to those people again. So, but in the rare cases that you do and you bond uh, sincerely, like, you know, like many actors do, I just felt for the character. I didn't want to, I, I kind of stayed arm's length. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. I thought maybe the storyline would go that Johnny maybe was more connected to this whole Laura Palmer case. I mean, he, I, there, was, there was deleted scenes where uh, Mrs. Horn was like, oh, Audrey's to blame for Johnny because she pushed him when he was a kid and things. So I always thought, well, maybe Jacoby would take care of Johnny and then we would find out these secrets about the Laura Palmer <laughs> case. Did you ever hear anything from the writers about maybe possible storylines for Johnny? Yeah, you know, it, it went somewhere between me going, just tell me if I killed Laura. <laughs> I just need to know. Yeah. So did I kill Laura? Hmm. To, 
we don't know who killed Laura. Come on. No, honestly, we don't know yet. Wow. <laughs> so it was all sort of clouded in did he or didn't he, did she or didn't she, who did. My personal opinion is that I think much like Lost, you know, at some point they started making it up as they went. Yeah. I don't think they figured it out. You know, I don't think they were like, this is what it was. I think the the inciting incident drove the investigation and like any real investigation things un get uncovered along the way and i think again this is just my personal opinion i think that they wanted to discover what they didn't know along the way yeah makes sense i mean mm -hmm. television if, if they're gonna go for five years or they don't know how long they want to go yeah they probably want to keep that mystery going to the end well there was no you know i think with david when David came, David, I think, was the first real uh, director, heralded director, film director, hmm. um, to come to television. Yeah. To bring his filmic directorial brand and, and star power to television. Yeah. And I think ABC was like, whatever you want. You know, once they heard the pitch, they're like, done whatever you want <laughs> and and let him you know gave him carte blanche to do what he did and i think that first season was you know paid the dividends of abc's belief in david mm. you know it was a it was a big it was a big moment in the television landscape for abc you know that they had david lynch on on television and you know, having created this show and and it was groundbreaking on on every level it was groundbreaking we're talking about directors i mean you also got to be directed by diane keaton what was that experience like it was like being directed by annie hall she was lovely <laughs> also just an artist top to toe and you know was all about the exploration and feeling things out and mm. And I think I was in that scene with Dana. Yeah. So Ben Horn is on a horse or something, and yes. and, and Dana is got a trumpet. I think yep. they're, they're doing Dixie again, yeah. and you're you're down on the ground just making noises. Is, my kids, my kids, literally, they're they're like, "Wow, I don't think there was a worse actor on that show." <laughs> no. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yes. So it's a it's a rough room over here. Wow. Um, very sort of very fluid and fun and and giggly and laughy and just on board with all of it. She was she was just sweet and lovely. Yeah, and, and you know knew I was after. I yeah. just remember laughing a lot that day. Yeah, that's a great episode, the one she directs. And I always say to Brian, like, there's it's funny the fans are very split. Like some people are really like offended. I don't even understand why they're so offended by her her directing. They have bad taste. But she did very stylistic. Very. Yeah. I mean, she had a great eye for for the camera and, yeah. and the style. Um, and I thought it was great humor too. Yeah. Yeah, she's funny and smart and terribly artistic. Like she's mm. just wonderfully. Yeah, her episode compliments Twin Peaks, I think. It it feels like a Lynch-directed episode, you know? Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. mm -hmm. I think they're very much cut from the same creative cloth. Right, I do. yeah. Uh, I'm hearing you guys correctly that, that some fans are, are less um, positive about her episode, like she broke the mold or something, and... I yeah, don't I don't know if they I, they feel that she was over over stylized that like she went she went beyond what the the normal Twin Peaks episode is like you know you have characters following each other and they're being um, I th I think it's 
it's good comical stuff, but there's there's that humor, and then there's these like really close up shots of the chessboard or just stylistic things that like oh that's not a typical Twin Peaks episode. What I think is so um, what's so ironic dichotomy is is normal you know fans saying that doesn't feel like a normal Twin Peaks episode. Yeah. Nothing about Twin Peaks was normal. Right. right. That's yeah. The, so right. true. That, that you know it's it's a world upside down so anything it, it is it is going into the rabbit hole right mm. so anything you know the mad hatter anything that comes out of that is 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 fair game i think you i know, agree once you crawl into that world yeah. yeah so that's that's funny to me yeah so this is probably an under <laughs> under <laughs> understatement here but do you think you were underused for the shit with the show in one word, fuck yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I always wanted to do more. Yeah. You know, I always wanted to do it more. But, you know, you, you in an ensemble, you're serving you're serving something else. And look, maybe I was just crappy and they didn't use me more. That's yep. also <laughs> oh, oh, no. no. It's frustrating because, I mean, I love a lot of the characters, but the second season, they just keep on bringing more characters in. And it's like, boy, we have plenty of characters for the I first know. season. You don't need to bring any more in. You got... Well, you let's do funny. I, I got lost in the second... Like, I, I was lost. I literally... I, I think I stopped reading... Um, the scripts because I was like, I don't fucking, I don't know what's happening. Yeah. I literally, I have a script and I don't know what's happening. <laughs> you know, I tried to get through, through what I could. And then I would get to my scenes and go, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So I don't know. You know, I don't, I'm certainly not bitter about it. It's a, it was an honor and it was a great thing to be a part of. So you mentioned you're, you're good friends with Dana Ashbrook. And do you have any stories about the two of you related to Twin Peaks? I do have stories. I, I'm sure I'm not going to tell you 90% of them. <laughs> Dana was, at the time, the most famous person we knew. Like, literally, he was like a beetle. He lived in Beechwood Canyon. The first night, I think it was for the Oscars, he was like, hey, why don't you guys, my wife and I were newly together, hmm. newly married, and he was like, why don't you guys come uh, come to the house, just me and some friends or the Oscars come over, you know, we'll have some pizzas and stuff. And we went over to his house. It was like 300 people and there <laughs> were 600 pizzas all over the, you know, on three layers of a house. And so we were um, in New York for, for the upfronts one year and Dana was staying at the plaza and I opted to stay with my in-laws in, in the city with my wife and Dana said, come over to the hotel and we'll go to lunch. And we got over to the hotel and there were like, I don't know, 200 girls out front of the hotel, Aww. roped off. <laughs> and go in and go up to Dana's room and then we come downstairs and he's like, yeah, let's go out the back here. And didn't say anything about it people staying in the hotel or something because there's a bunch of girls up front with the yeah and whatever and then we go out the side of the plaza and the majority of the girls that were out front end up after dana who takes off in a full-on sprint because they were there to see him it was crazy <laughs> that's really crazy wow that's really funny he's a 
phenomenally righteous guys. Just a, just one of the best of the best. He's just he's a. I mean, a small indicator is that the, the tattoo that he had, the one tattoo that he had at the time, he's got he's got plenty more now. The one tattoo at the he had at the time was a peace sign, uh, and that's who Dana was. Cool. You know, he's just this people loving, all embracing sweetheart of the guy. Loves people and humanity and. Yeah, that's awesome. Really good that's job. Really cool. Really, really good guy. Was there ever talk about you being on being in Firewalk with Me film? And the the first draft actually had a scene with of Johnny Horn's birthday. Oh, that's so sweet of you to rub it in. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I was in the script. I was in, and they put me on hold, and I was gonna do it for a minute, and then I wasn't. Aww. And I, you know, I might edit this out, but uh, you know, I think we can blame Richard Beamer there probably because he yes. was he was very much offended by the scene and to deal with some drugs, and he didn't think that he would act that way. So I, th- yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I hold him accountable. <laughs> I like the scene. I mean, I think the scene was interesting because you get to see. Uh, ben Horn and and Laura, and then there's actually Leland is upset because Laura's pictures on hit, uh, Ben's desk, and I thought that it would have been an interesting scene dynamic and stuff, but and we would have gotten more of you, but uh, <laughs> you would have gotten more of me, uh, and wouldn't the world have been the place for it? <laughs> <laughs> so they had they, we, we only a few years ago we had the season three of Twin Peaks. Were you asked to be uh, return as Johnny? I don't mean to turn you off. No. Oh. I thought your answer oh, would be no. that you're so busy now with as a director, a writer, a producer that you didn't have time to play uh, Johnny. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> um, no, I, no, did they? I don't think they did. They hire an actor to play to play Johnny. Yeah, they hired a stuntman, so he wasn't. He wasn't. I don't even. He's more of a stuntman than he is. He is an actor. Yeah, and he did some stunts. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. He put his head through a wall or something. Right. That's right. all it was. Yeah. You know. Yeah. No. I. It was. It was talked about for a second. My friends were like, you know, I, I haven't really been acting, so I don't have. I have my same attorney, but I don't have a an agent or a manager. But I'm friends with all those guys, and they were like, mm. you know, listen, we're gonna feel the you know the, the the offer of the call for you, and we'll um we'll let you know when it comes <laughs> when it comes in. And alas, that call never came. Oh. It's this is really turning into probably what is the saddest podcast in podcast history. Not oh, true. No, not true. I, 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 I'm enjoying. I love yeah. the whole Peter Pan book thing. I love the <laughs> and I, I'm just enjoying all your stories. So it's not yeah, sad at all. This is a great show. <laughs> and I want to hear about, good. you left acting. I'd love you to share uh, what what you did after acting because I mean you've really been involved with as a writer, a producer, as a director. Can, can you share with us what you've been up to? I, sure, of course. I um, I started producing when I was acting just as a way to, you know, put me and my friends in, you know, to have more control over what, more control over what it is to be an actor, just wait for the, the phone to ring. And so that was the sort of the genesis of it. It was also, I was very much a student of the process. I was very much enamored with, you know, how movies got put together. And that was the start of it. Um, so anyway, so that was the genesis of, of, of me getting into it. I, I really, before I started acting professionally and during the times that I was 
acting. I I worked in production. I did every job there was. I, I got my SAG card on a movie called This Is Spinal Tap. Oh, that's wow. That's cool. That's pretty awesome. I was professionally in front, of the, in, in front of the camera. I just loved making movies. I loved the process from... You know, I love the, the, the dream factory of it. I love mm. the, you know, the fantasy that you could have a conversation that led to a script that led to actors reading that script in front of a camera. And, you know, I still to this day believe in the magic that happens between the lens and the actor, mm. you know, and everything leading up to that, you know, takes thousands of hours and hundreds of people. And, you know, there's a lot of preparation that goes into it. And, I love the tradition of it. I love the family aspect of it. I love the coming together for a common cause aspect of it. So mm. I think I was tickled by all of that. And and then in short order, having produced, I think the first feature, I produced a bunch of, because I was an actor, I knew actors. And I <clears throat> um, was always sort of entrepreneurial. And I would produce short films that actors wanted to make. And I would get brands to pay for that. So I would create an association between the actor and the brand. Hmm. And, you know, this was before digital. So we, you know, we did a lot of short films and that led to the first feature I produced was for Adam Goldberg, Adam Goldberg's first feature. And that was Scotch and Milk. And it was Adam and Giovanni Ribisi, Nikki Cat, and Robert wow. Pastorelli. And it's a really beautiful movie. And it was learning, it was baptism Sorry, it was baptism by fire. It was learning on the fly, right? Learning yeah, on the yeah. job. And I became, you know, over time, much, much better, not just at producing, but I became a better producer than I ever was an actor. Hmm. And I could hit my stride producing easier than I was able to lose myself in the performance of a role if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And then I created uh, a show. We produced a bunch of little movies, you know, uh, started a commercial production company and we produced a bunch of commercials and we took the directors that were commercial directors and tried to partner them to long form. And we continued doing short films and continued doing, um, uh, uh, you know, pilots and things like that. And then uh, I created a show with Ali Wentworth called Headcase that we we sold to Stars. That was a half hour comedy, original half hour comedy that we ran for three seasons. That I wrote and produced, and my partner directed. And then around that time, maybe the first or second season, I developed uh, the film Waitress with Adrian Shelley. Adrian and I were put together by a mutual friend. She had a script that we both liked that she wrote that she wanted to direct. And we were working on that for about six months. And then she called me on a Sunday. She was on the East Coast. I was on the West Coast. And she said, you're going to be mad at me, but I had a dream last night. And I think we should make that movie. Wow. And I said, the movie you dreamt? And she said, yeah. And I said, cool. Is it written? And she said, no. And I said, yeah, I'm going to be mad at you. How are we going <laughs> to... And then I said, well, pitch it to me. And she pitched me, you know, 70% of the movie. My contrib my creative contribution to that film was that uh, that I made uh, the waitress bake pies. I gave mm. her that. She was just a waitress. I gave her the, you know, I gave Adrian the idea of her baking pies as a 
as a therapy for her and she huh. was she was preternaturally good at it like yeah. that was her that was her gift and that came from the fact that my wife at the time had a pie baking company and she made pies Isn't that so and there was a point in time where we were calling the script is literally I have copies of the script where it was called pie baker and <laughs> then, then Adrian again to her you know to her credit and her genius called me up and said I had a dream and I think we should call the movie waitress wow. and it just clicked you know yeah. Just yeah. Like, you know and that was a bittersweet success but we made that movie and and then um it's funny going from from acting to producing because it's a little bit from the the pan to the fire <laughs> you know yeah I uh, I enjoy it a lot and I think I'm I'm decent at it and and I guess the last thing we did was uh, I, I had the fortune, the good fortune of um, producing and directing Don Rickles' final work. And that was a, a, a web series called Dinner with Don that I, I co-created. And that was super, super fun. We did 13 episodes and it was just chapterizing his life by, you know, people that were famous in their own right, but were giant fans of his, you know, De Niro and Scorsese, yeah. Zach Alphanakis, Vince Vaughn, Billy Crystal. Amy Poehler, Sarah Silverman, Rich Eisen. You had people uh, like Snoop Dogg. We got Snoop. I, I reached out to Snoop and people were like, yeah, he fucking loved to do this. And <laughs> we, shot at, we shot at, uh, at Mr. Chow's, a famous restaurant in Beverly Hills. And I was waiting. You know, I got the call that Snoop was pulling up and I, I, uh, I went out front to wait for him. Don was in the restaurant we were setting up and, and a, a black bus, mini bus pulled up and the doors opened up and the plume of weed smoke cloud <laughs> that came out onto the sidewalk and almost like it was a, an effect. And from that, from the cloud cover stepped Snoop, it was pretty, pretty fantastic. Wow. Yeah, but that was super fun. It was super fun to, you know, because he was a real fan, yeah. you know, he was a real fan and he knew shit, you know, and they were just, it was what was lovely about it was getting somebody that, you know, had lived the majority of their life, you know, was looking over their shoulder more than looking forward because there weren't, there wasn't a lot of road ahead of them. You know, Don was 90 mm -hmm. um, and Snoop's, you know, half Don's age <clears throat> with a lot of life left. It was just a great juxtaposition of somebody looking forward, somebody looking back and just being, you know, mutual fans of one another. I mean, Don knew Snoop. Don knew Snoop because of his grandkids. You know, he is. It was really cool. Wow. It was a good moment. That's really cool. special moment. Yeah. The De Niro Scorsese moment with Don was really great too. <laughs> but yeah, so we did that. You know, we're just we we. I think are um, driven by story and things that I picked up along the way, and and people like David that I really was. Um, you know, enamored by and fans of and, and, and stole from because I liked things that they were doing and mm. it helped shape my likes and my process and the things that I wanted to do. So we look, we're always on the lookout for good stories, you know, cause we like to tell stories and we hope that we are helpful in, in you know, in bringing the things that we take on to life. So, yeah. yeah. So that's what I've been doing. Well, thank you, Bobby. Thank yeah. you so much for your time. This has been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise, you guys. I I uh, I rarely do these kind of things, but this was super fun and easy. And listen, I clearly 
I don't get bored of talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we want. We want you on the show to talk about yourself. So right, that- <laughs> right. <laughs> um, uh, thank you, Bobby. Yeah, thank you. You bet. Take care. Thank you, Bobby Bauer. That was so cool to get to talk to you. I mean, we, you have so many great stories. <laughs> I was, I, we really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of like envisioning him coming back on the show to do like, like our community rewatch episode, just like when Johnny Horn was made the appearance. I'll <laughs> be like, hey, man, you want to like just talk about it like with with like some people? Like, I'm hoping. I, it's something I feel You're like... You're putting it out there now. You really want to... You can go reach out to him if you want. I will. I will. All I right. feel like we made a good connection here that we He's could awesome. have him on at least one more time before the end of our show. Yeah, all right. You, you guys, we'll update you on whether we, we uh, Bobby would be willing to do like a community watch. I mean, that would be so cool. I can't believe you're telling people when we haven't even asked him, but you're a wild man, Brian. You know, there's that saying, if you put it out in the universe, sometimes it'll come true. Sometimes, so, yeah. This is I, uh, my universe. Yeah. I do love his stories. I love that, like, him using, like, Peter Pan book to help motivate him to be a child. And, like, I, you know, you don't think about sometimes the process that an actor goes through that he, you know, he's watching cartoons. He's doing all these things to try and keep his, like, keep him thinking as a child. And I, I thought that was just pretty cool, his process. Yeah. And hearing about his relationship. With Dana Ashbrook. Right. Uh, that That was just really cool and how we got to speak to Dana and kind of make that connection with the two. In Reflections, the book, Brad Duke's book, I think Bobby had mentioned that uh, Dana and him were friends. But it's so cool to hear the other side, to hear that Dana had had such mutual respect, you know, so much that uh, Bobby became uh, his kid's godfather. So cool. And I'm glad we got to have both their takes on that. So, I mean, it was a great interview. I mean, uh, Benny did it again. I, I, like... The credit goes to you, my friend. I mean, oh, it's always about us. It's supposed to be. It's not. It's nobody's supposed to know that I go and get these. It's oh, supposed to be us. It's you, supposed you, to be you and I. You I got sit the, back, and you go and go and reach out to the reps. And, oh, and, you and, are you. You're the magic man. All your hard work here has paid off, but it has paid off because we have a beautiful, beautiful book. Twin Peaks unwrap the book. You can get at bluerosemag.com. Supplies are limited. Uh, get this bad boy while it's hot. And if you if you're in the market for a digital version, the Kindle is out there for ten dollars, and it has color photos. That's awesome. So I, I want to say we're under the three hundred mark for these books, yes. and then yes. once they're gone, they are gone. Our thinking would be that the book would be gone by the end of the year. I mean, I don't even know if it's going to last that long. But the idea was that, hey, this is the 30th anniversary. Like, wouldn't it be cool just to have a book that could be available to really diehard Twin Peaks fans? Right. Yeah. And I I think it will be gone sooner than we thought. Yes. But, Ben, it's time to go. We'll, We'll be back in two weeks. But if you have a comment, a question, a theory about today's show, give us an email at twinpeaksunwrapped at gmail.com. We are also on Facebook. We're also on Twitter. And also, you can join our cast. Now, Ben, tell everybody about the cast. So yeah. we have started doing a a watch party on this platform called Cast, where it's, it get, it makes it so that a group of people can come together and chat 
and watch the show at the same time. So uh, we stream the episodes of Twin Peaks and it's a pri- private viewing. So you just have to sign up for cast and uh, we'll put the link in there in our show notes. But you can actually then just request an invite and you and uh, we will accept you and you can come in on Fridays at eight o'clock Eastern and watch usually one or two episodes of uh, Twin Peaks. Yeah, so while we're all stuck at home, socially distancing ourselves during this pandemic, uh, we're bringing the community together every Friday. We've had just great turnout. I mean, the pilot uh, had like nearly 40 people there in the same. And it's it's great to see so many familiar people and we're all chatting about things and we're all just laughing and having a good time about what we're watching. And we've all seen the show so many times. So it's less, I think, about the show. I mean, it's great to see the show, but it's also just fun to comment about this. And sometimes, you know, you have people who are like, did you know this? Did you know that? And just to share our our own experience with the show. It's actually a fun time and it goes by so quickly. And, and, you know, Ben surprises us with some extra bonuses now and again. Yeah, we'll get commercials and we'll get deleted scenes. And we try to, I try to uh, get a bunch of things. I try to make it a good two hours. So you got a good uh, eight to 10 Eastern. You get, you get a good mix of stuff. Besides the show, you get some uh, other little goodies. Yeah. So it's a great time. Come join us Friday nights at eight o'clock Eastern. And like Ben said, all those links will be in the show notes and they're always on social media too. give us that five star review on iTunes and we're on Spotify, all your wonderful podcast places. And with that, we'll be back in a week or two. See you soon.